0: No, but I can't have it. It
1: can't work. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of With Love Alexa. Today I'm going to be talking with Dr. Lindsay callen Wisner, a clinical psychologist, podcast host of Neurotic Nourishment, and co author of the upcoming book, 10 Steps to Finding Happy. I'm going to be talking to her all about um, like her podcast and how she, like how she grew up and just all about her journey. Um, hi, Lindsay. Are you there? I am. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm so glad you could um, come on today. I'm so glad you let me. So there you go. Of course. <laughs> I always love hearing like different stories and I kind of realized that after I started the podcast, I had no idea what it was going to become. And it's been sure. such a fun outlet to like hear different people's journeys and perspective and stories. Yeah, I always say podcasting is my self care. Yes, <laughs> it actually is. <laughs> right. um, so maybe to start, you want to just tell us a little bit about you and your background. Sure. Well, I uh,
0: let's see. I was born in New York, but I grew up in Florida. Um, uh, I have. I, I went to Georgetown University. I double majored in English and psychology. I really wanted to be a writer, but um, I didn't want to be a journalist because that's boring. But I took a you know crap internship at um, a big magazine, but I had a horrible job. You won't understand this because you're too young, but it was basically my job to deliver faxes from the main fax machine to the real reporters it's seriously? like telegram days yeah seriously and it was a horrible job and we already had email so I don't know why anyone would fax it. it was <laughs> a ridiculous job. I lasted five months and then I quit because That's I realized pretty good sick. yeah I know and like you know of course I put sticks on my resume the reality is I wanted to write books I always have There's just, um, I wasn't smart enough to know like, oh, get a job in publishing. So um, I quit and fortunately a professor that I knew from Georgetown who had been following my whole, you know, uh, complaints about this job and we (laughs) stayed in touch, he told me about a position open at the National Institute of Health and Child and Family Development and so I applied and I got the fellowship and from there I went to graduate school and I met my husband in graduate school so I got stuck in the cold in Long Island (laughs) and I now have two children and um a practice where I specialize in suicidal teenagers and uh everything feels like it sort of happened accidentally on purpose if that makes any sense
1: oh trust me 100 percent I um I was a communications major and I wanted event planning, but I had yeah. been in an accident and like that caused me to have my chronic pain and everything right. kind of just went from there. Like if you would have sure. told me a couple of years ago, I would tell, I would laugh if you told me that I was going to be a podcast host or a bl- or a blogger. Yeah, I didn't know
0: what a, I mean, I, I kind of knew what a podcast was, but like, about a year ago, maybe 10 months ago, a friend and I were sitting at a playground watching our kids play and just joking around. And um, another friend said, you guys are funny, you should do a podcast. And because we're both very impulsive, like ADD people, <laughs> <laughs> the next thing I knew we, had, we you know, we talked out our phone, and we recording by phone on Anchor and uh, started asking guests and like our third guest She told us after, she's like, you guys are really good, but do you know what a sound editor is? (laughs) uh, We did not. Um, And about, actually in early November, my uh, co-host quit because she wanted to focus on um, her nutritional clients, and I had gotten more and more suicidal patients, and so I wanted to have more of an outlet and a voice, and she wanted less, and so... Um, this is technically my first season on my own, and I, for the first few episodes, I made my nine-year-old sing the beginning of Les Mis, because, you know, the on my own part, because I thought Ugh. it would be cute. <laughs> so, uh So, yeah, so now I have a podcast called Neurotic Nourishment, where I try to talk about the difficult things that we are n- we're not supposed to talk about in polite company, Um I've interviewed a woman who lost her child at a very young age. And I talked about the difference, you know, racial differences and being a mom of color or uh, a white mom. And this week's episode was about uh, breast cancer and a Mm -hmm. breast cancer survivor. So,
1: honestly, I think what you're doing is like great because it is so important to give people like um, an outlet to share their stories and especially with how high suicide is.
0: Yeah, that's my big, um, you know, that's my big thing. And once again, I sort of accidentally fell into that. Um, Their town, it's two towns over, but within a month last year, there were two suicides. And um, then... I, uh, this year in my small town in September, there was another one, and I happened to have an opening when someone called, and it turns out I'm not as I probably should be, particularly given, um, you know, teenagers, uh, impulsivity, but, uh, you know, I, like, my name started getting spread around, and now I have... Several suicidal patients, none of whom I have ever sent to the hospital, none of whom have ever, um, you know, ha- taken any action because there's a huge difference between thoughts and action. And I'm sure you know from chronic pain. I mean, um, I have had chronic back pain since I was 17. <sighs> and I woke up one woke up one morning and couldn't walk, and so. Uh, You never know... I cannot walk, I should say that. But, um, you know, you never know when, like, uh, I'm going to pick up a scarf and then be debilitated for a month or two. So, you know, it's... um, Yeah, you have depressing thoughts. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there were times when, you know, I I wanted things to get better and wondered if they would. But it's, it's also a huge malpractice burden. And so I think a lot of people... Won't see patients until they send them to a hospital for a psyche eval, where they are then evaluated by someone who is highly trained, but probably just got out of school. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's usually like unless you walk in there with a knife to your throat, I think they send you home at the end of eight hours of excruciating, embarrassing, painful process. So, yeah, um, you know, my. As it turns out, you know, my I have a relative, a close relative, who has tried to commit suicide a bazillion times and has never succeeded. And I think that growing up with this, and um, in a really weird way, it's easier to hear people talking about wanting to die and also to be comfortable with the fact that it's harder than it looks. You know, Um, so it all makes sense looking back. But of course, growing up, I. I had
1: no idea why I was stuck with this burden um, yeah It no and it's and it's hard like even though like like with you and having patients and talking to your patients it can be really I'm trying to think of the word like taxing on you too
0: it is definitely exhausting um, like emotionally even. Also, right it's definitely emotionally exhausting and But it also makes me feel like I am, I think it's given me a purpose that I didn't know I had, you know, five years ago. I mean, I've always been, I've had a fiction agent since 2014, Um, but this is, this book is my first attempt at a, uh, nonfiction, and it again just kind of fell into my lap the co-author had written it and asked me to read it and I realized I could back up everything she said with science and you know voila here's the book but the thing about working with suicidal teens is although I wasn't suicidal as a teen I was dealing with a loved one who was and so um, in a way there's a part of it that selfishly feels like helping Myself and there's uh, also I was not allowed to talk about this when I was younger, you know the shame, the stigma, and so now the, this podcast and and being fortunate enough to go on your podcast, it, it's like I it gives me the opportunity to find the voice that I never, that I never had that I would, that was never allowed to have, and at this point, um, I no longer see a reason to stay silent because, um, you know, my loved one has not successfully and help in you know 40 something years or however long it's been so uh, it's time for me to start making a difference where I can which may not be with my family.
1: Right and maybe one day it will be. I do not think so but I admire
0: your youthful optimism. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Instead you know I think that's part of why This book and more Moreover, the hashtag 10 steps and the stigma that I am working my butt off day and night to try to read is so important because a lot of my... I was told as a kid not to say anything, you know, and then about what was going on at home. And then these teenagers, a lot of times their parents don't want the schools to know. They're worried it'll affect you know their friendships or their college applications or whatever it is and so now you're not only depressed and or seriously anxious and possibly thinking about suicide but you feel ashamed yeah you know it's an additional burden that we place on them and if we treated mental health more like physical health we could possibly save some
1: lives and I think That's my hope. Yeah, me too. And I think because also, like I talk about it as an invisible illness. So like even though someone right. is sick, but that's still not looked at like physical, like chronic pain. Because you can't see it and there's nothing wrong, quote unquote, on the outside. They don't treat it like if there was always. Right. So it's like the same and, thing.
0: And also with most pain, there's a beginning and an end to the getting better version of it. Right, you know, like yes, a sprained ankle left for a really long time, or things like it, because it's a sprain and it's. But like, with uh, chronic pain, people don't understand why you're not better by now. And with mental illness, it's the same thing. So,
1: and a lot of times, um, it's connected too.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, why wouldn't you be depressed if you're, you know, you're constantly in pain and, um, you know, it's a vicious. Uh, this is before it was called an opioid crisis. This is yeah. just like this is just the deal. Like okay, take pills so you can go to class. Take pills, you know. Yeah. I got an I got an epidural in order to go to prom both junior and senior year because um, you know this was just the, the here it is. This is what you got. Um, so yeah, I mean that's part of the reason I wanted to be on your podcast is because I could see that that connection. Um, you know, for both of us. It's It's
1: a big connection. Yeah. And really, nowadays, like, there's so many different connections in, because it's such a broad area, but it's also not at the same time. Like, there's, like, different parts, but it's still, like, they're all connected. Parts of what do you mean? Explain. Sorry. I'm, like... um, It's okay. Like, each, like, you have the mental health aspect, you have the pain aspect, you have the emotional and it all kind of like they're all broad but they all come together
0: i agree i mean you know our body's a system it's all related and uh you know i have this discussion with parents about medication. i mean listen okay when i first hurt my back in jesus 1993 94 i was put on it, w- it was an old school, a very old school antidepressant, but in low doses, antidepressants can be used for pain. You yes. know, um, I'm on Cymbalta because A, a lot of times I'm anxious as hell. I have two small kids. And B, it's supposedly is good for pain. You know, it really is all related. Um, is it it's not to imply by any, yeah, it's not to imply by any means that pain is in our heads. It's simply that the system is related. <laughs>
1: And, like, I've had doctors tell me it's in my head, but, like, in a way, I guess it is. It's in my brain. Like, my brain, it was from a brain injury, so it's doing, but it's not actually in my, like, I'm not making this up or trying for this to happen.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, what really frustrates me is when a doctor can't figure something out, and so they send someone to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I'm the psychologist, and it still frustrates me. Like, just because you don't know... Does it actually? Do you know that's how the Salem witch trials that started? Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, there was the the girl who started it all. I forget her name, but she she was her parent. She was an orphan, and she was stay, staying with a town doctor. And some someone came in with a symptom that he couldn't identify, and so he declared it to be witchcraft. And like that is the like. There's much more complicated in social psychology. Um, it's a fascinating. I love the topic, but literally, it got started because some doctor couldn't figure out what it was and declared it rich- witchcraft.
1: But like, how would you even think about like why would you even think to call it like? W- it like, gets so weird to think about. Like, because how would you come up with it?
0: Right, they were a very isolated, like I want to say Puritan, but I could be wrong, but like a very isolated, very religious small community because it was like it, we were first people from England were first coming to you know, America in that case and so they were very isolated and they were very into extremes and right or wrong and the devil and good or bad Mm -hmm. and so this doctor I guess didn't want to lose his standing as like town doctor, he declared it witchcraft and I guess much like flossing or something, you know the, the dance, oh, this yeah. spread, and you know this spread and seventy something people died. So,
1: Aye. um,
0: <laughs> I have a lot of useless information in my head. Sorry,
1: I like I always like, but that's fun to like learn something new, even if you don't yeah, it, need it. But who cares? It's still information,
0: which is true. And not only is it fun, but it's a way to make you happier because the neurotransmitters in your brain start firing differently. And you get all excited, and your hormones get all excited. So, actually, one of the ten steps in the book is yeah. try, try something new.
1: <laughs> I like that. Um, speaking of the book, so did you? Were I think I re- did some research, and you like you liked fiction writing fiction.
0: Yeah, I was um, fiction first and foremost. I. Um, In 2014, Cosmo magazine ran a contest, the first ever fiction contest, and I won it. And um, I got my, it was an excerpt from my book, printed in Cosmo. I got to meet with some really cool people's agents at um, Random House. I got to tour the office. Um, And in fact, uh, it led me to get my agent. You certainly get a little more attention when you get to announce this. Except that now it's five years later and they've never done another fiction
1: content. (laughs) Oh. Because I remember they used to have, like, a fiction blog. I remember a while back I used to read it.
0: Yeah, well, it actually started as a fiction magazine. Really? And then some, yeah, I know, and then somehow it became all blowjobs and, you know, (laughs) sexy tips. I don't know. Um, I should have asked if you swear on your podcast. doesn't matter. (laughs) It's all good. Okay, good. Okay, good. Um, But, yeah, I started with fiction. I got an agent, and I the day they told me they were going to announce my winning, because let me just say that the judges were some amazing judges. It was uh, Veronica Ross, who wrote Divergent series, um, Tahira Mafi, who I'm blanking out, this awesome... I can't think of her trilogy. It was the woman who wrote Pretty Little Liars. Like, it was like five wow. or six. Yeah, I was, like, this should be my, go on my tombstone, finally. And so they were going to, um, they were going to tweet it at me. And I was 33, 34 years old. I had a kid in a stroller, a kid in nursery school. I was standing at the bagel store. I had no idea what Twitter was. And I just handed my phone to, like, kid behind the counter and was like, I need you to make me a Twitter account immediately. Uh, <laughs> and so from there, I started using, you know, understanding the hashtag thing and talking to other writers. And I happened to meet one who lives uh, five minutes from my house. Oh. And her niece is, went to school with my son and they were in the same grade. And we developed sort of like a, a writing community, you know, and then... Two years ago I had thrown out my back as you know it was just one of those things and I was stuck in bed and she sent me um, a self-help book she had written to look over and that is when I you know I said to her I was like this is good but and this is very scary to do I said would you like a co-author because my like in my brain I have research and like to back most of these things up and then from there, um, I wanted to flesh it out a little more because they're easy points. Like, try something new, you know. I'm, it's not for, if you're clinically depressed or suicidal, this book is could make you a little happier, but this is not a, a, a mental health fix. This is, you know, uh, if I could go back, 10 Steps to Finding Happier, you know, because I think that that's, That's that's what we should be aiming for, to be happier, as opposed to happy being like a constant state. But we also recruited 24 um, expert writers in different fields. Um, I don't know if you know who Alexa Rose Carlin is. She had a... She had like a a life or death experience. She was um, unconscious for a while and then came to and... She's like this badass. She runs a women empowering women expo, which is basically that we should support each other rather than step on each other. And that means in alternating in Washington, D.C. or South Florida every year. I have a jazz singer. I have, um, trying to think, I have an art therapist. I have a dance and movement therapist who works with pediatric palliative care population, which is sounds to me like the most awful thing, but she talks about how she brings happiness into these kids' lives, you know. Um, And then one of my favorites is one of my patients anonymously wrote about how he had um, been suffering from serious bipolar 1, like hallucinations, you know, suicidal ideation, homicidal ideation, and Yes, he he tried everything, but the final thing that sort of put him all together again was actually extreme exercise, triathlons, Iron Men. I don't think either you or I are signing up for these things anytime soon, but you know. (laughs) No. (laughs) Good for him. um, It's good for him. I mean, listen, he also had therapy and medicine and tried a variety of things. But that was like the linchpin in making him feel like he had somewhere to belong and a a purpose to focus on. So these writers are amazing and they just sort of help flesh out the definition of happiness and how we can find it in our lives no matter what we do.
1: I love that. I think that's a really cool thing and getting to have like different perspectives is I think going to help too.
0: Yeah. And I also think like some people don't like science and research and they'll relate more to the human condition. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, at the end of every chapter, we have like concrete steps you can take today, you know. Um, and so it's, uh, for example, like find your happy people. Well, go online. You know, I found most of my happy people on social media, even though I was very resistant. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like particularly Instagram scared the crap out of me, but like, six months ago i was told by publishing slash marketing that i needed an account and so there you go
1: (laughs) no it's online is like it can be scary but it's a really cool thing and a really cool way to meet people like i've met most of my guests like have been like you i've been online
0: yeah i have i've met and by the way if you ever want to come on my podcast let me know i'd love to talk about good because i would really love to talk about um chronic illness in a way that people will understand it um, but like I you know like I a lot of these people are my friends like if you, you hit it, it off you hit it off and um, you know one of them posted that she was sick and I called her as I was driving home from work to you know just say hey how you doing like we well, should live closer so uh, you know that was something that it, it has made me happier because I'm a little quirky and it's tough to find my people but um, <laughs> But I have, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've made a lot of friends like through this also. So it's been really cool and just a bummer that we don't all live in the same area. <laughs> I know.
0: But again, how weird is it? As I mentioned before the show, that like I have family that comes from the same town you're in. And,
1: and, um, and it's you know, not that same. big in that area.
0: It's not that big. And if you were, you know, it's funny because there are four of them. My cousins, there's four of them, but the youngest is the one, is, um, I'm not going to pretend to know how old she is, but she graduated in 2016. Uh, you know, so from college. I'm sorry, 2000, no, 2008. I'm sorry, oh. you graduated. <laughs> I know, I know. For a second, I'm I like... got excited. No, but you know, they're um, they're a little older than you, but um, you know, but so it's just funny. It is a smaller world, and we do need to reach out and find people that we click with.
1: I agree completely. Um, we're about to wrap up. But is Great. there anything else you would like my listeners to know about you? Could be what you like to do. Just really anything.
0: Yes. Here is my big plight. I mean, listen, I would love it if you would listen to my podcast, Neurotic Nourishment. Um, but really, this is my big plight. And it's bigger than anything. And um, on March 20th, my, our book will be released in, um, as part of the celebration of the United Nations International Day of Happiness. Fantastic. Um, it's a book hopefully it helps people but what I really want to do is to spread the message across social media uh, to use the hashtag 10 steps and the stigma and I if you reach out to me you can reach out to me at psych shrink mom or at neurotic nourishment if you are willing to you know post a pic of yourself with the hashtag um, I am mailing out postcard size um, versions of book cover that say hashtag ten steps and the stigma and it's 10 the number uh, yeah it's blatant book promotion but here's the thing it's use never the too late. Stigma. <laughs> no but also like use the promote use the hashtag and post a picture of yourself doing something happy and that will make me happy too um, and also uh, this blatant self-promotion is then it's it's gonna leave me in, in the negative after uh, mailing stuff all over the world but I feel strongly enough that it's if we can help one people feel less alone with the hashtag 10 steps and the stigma, uh, it will make me feel purposed and fulfilled. And like, I have done something really good in this world.
1: Well, I will definitely be using that. So, no, and if you. you ever need a hashtag, you can use be forever strong.
0: Oh, I like that. I didn't know that one. Okay. Yeah, I made it Come up. <laughs> That's okay. I made up 10 steps and the stigma, but I will definitely use it. And, um, Perhaps uh, later on, at some point, you'll let me know where I can send your postcard.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you once again, and this has been another. Thank you so much, and this has been another episode of With Love, Alexa. Bye.